The views and opinions expressed in this episode are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of Gwen and Mercy Academy High School, the Sisters of Mercy, or any related affiliate. Welcome back to the Monarch Impact. I'm Kylie McMahon, a junior here at Gwen. And I'm Caitlin Fitzgerald Straub, graduate of 2001 and Gwinnett Force Coordinator. Today, we are excited to welcome Brooke Morris Chott, graduate of the class of 2001 and a member of our lifelong sisterhood. Brooke is the Advocacy and EDI, Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion Program Officer for CORE, Leadership, Infrastructure, Futures, a division of the American Library Association. She graduated from the University of Maryland with a BA in English Language and Literature, and she received a Master's Degree in Publishing from the George Washington University. As a volunteer and social activist, Brooke serves on the associate boards of the AIDS Foundation of Chicago and Chicago House, which provides support and healthcare advocacy for LGBTQ plus and BIPOC, Chicagoans living with HIV AIDS. Brooke is also involved with Literacy Works, a nonprofit organization focused on advancing equity by promoting literacy education. Okay, hi Brooke, we are so happy to have you here today. Thank you so much for agreeing to this podcast. Hi Brooke. Hi, thank you for having me. Of course. All right, so let's get right into it. Um, so what made you choose Gwinnett for high school? So um, actually, uh, there was in, um, a senior, um, was it, well, was a senior at the time, came to visit my uh, eighth grade class uh, at St. Rose of Lima in North Wales. And I was actually leaning towards going to the Mount. Um, mm. But when she came to speak with us, she was so engaging and so enthusiastic and so in love with Gwyneth that I had to check it out. And so I came to one of the open houses and I loved it as well. And it just seemed like the perfect school for me. So I decided on Gwyneth over the mount. <laughs> yeah. Great choice. I never knew that story, Brooke. That's crazy. Um, so how do you think Gwyneth helped shape you as a person since you left high school? Was there any particular class that was really impactful? Definitely all the um, English classes I took. Um, I've always loved reading and writing, um, you know, but it was writing was a hobby has always been, you know, a big hobby for me. And um, I, you know, when I was coming up, it was just something I always did. I never really thought it as far as, you know, just a hobby. And then, you know, once I got to, to, um, you know, to Gwinnett and started writing English papers um, and getting such positive feedback from, you know, my teachers there. It was just a thing where I was like, hey, this is something I really enjoy. I love analyzing literature, um, you know, and so that was one of the major things that stood out to me and shaped me, I think, in my uh, professional career um, and as far as my writing goes and led me down to kind of the path that, you know, I went down, um, you know, and I, I think another thing too was, being in an environment with um, all girls, um, you know, I really definitely think it helped me, helped shape me, made me outgoing. You know, when I got to college, I wasn't afraid to speak up in class and, you know, debate and do those things that some of my peers, I feel like were a little, you know, shied away from. So um, I definitely think that it grounded me in a sense of giving me, you know, the, the voice that I think um, a lot of times lacks with young women. I completely agree with you. Um, 
for those of you who don't know, Brooke and I were the same graduating class. Oh, wow. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So I believe the catchphrase when we were in high school was be brave, be bold, be a mercy girl. And if nothing else, that is what the takeaway was. Like everybody that we graduated with, we are strong, capable, loud. (laughs) We are loud women and we are not ashamed of it. So um, I share that sentiment for sure. Yeah. So you mentioned earlier that uh, at Gwena, there was like a few like faculty members or like teachers who kind of helped you like in school and stuff. Like, were there any like in particular that you think like served as mentors for you? Um, I definitely think that um, uh, Mr. Simmons and Sister Christie definitely stood out to me as far as, you know, my writing goes. They both uh, separately took me aside um, when I was a student and, you know, told me that I was a really good writer. And before that, it was just like my mom that told me like, you know, um, and she's my mom, but she also was an English professor. So, you know, having, you know, her tell me, yeah, okay, you're, of course, you're my mother. And, you know, I follow in your footsteps, but having somebody else, you know, teachers kind of solidify that, um, you know, really, I think helps me get um, more confident about my writing and, you know, um, help me get interested in, in, different types of, of literature. Um, you know, I think what sticks out to me and in, in what I tell a lot of people, one of my first great experiences in analyzing, you know, uh, works of literature was reading Huck Finn. And um, I remember specifically, you know, reading that in Sister Christie's class and, you know, talking about it in class and, you know, seeing the deeper meaning in it. And that kind of brought me to satire. Like after that, I wanted to read everything that Mark Twain had to offer. And one of my favorite books is Puddinghead Wilson. And, you know, um, I actually, I, you know, did a course in college and, you know, did an analysis of Puddinghead Wilson and, you know, um, got rave reviews from professors about that, you know, was passed around. And, you know, it was, I think, you know, kind of, from that start, you know, that foundation that I got, um, you know, from Sister Christie's class and getting to discuss, um, you know, Mark Twain and, you know, other classic authors, you know, really gave me, you know, the, the foundation structure I needed for college and for my literary career. We definitely read some classic <laughs> foundational literature over here. Yeah. And Kylie. Dr. Durstein has a copy of that book on the wow. shelf. Dr. Durstein is our classmate as well. If you wanted to read Puddinghead Wilson, she's got it. And she <laughs> classified everything by time period today. I'll give it a look. <laughs> it's perfect. Another, you know, another thing that definitely sticks out in my mind, especially now, and I, I kind of, I was so surprised, I guess, thinking about this as an adult that we read this in high school, but we read The Handmaid's Tale our senior year. And um, oh, wow. I, remember, I don't remember that. Yes. Yeah. And uh, uh, Mrs. Lane's class, we read it. And I actually had an opportunity to meet Margaret Atwood um, through a, um, a work conference. And, you know, during you know, the meeting, I'm sitting down and we're like a bunch of communications team and, you know, we're talking about it. And, you know, I said, I, you know, I, I remember reading this in high school, you know, and then later reading it in college and then seeing the show on, on Hulu. Um, you know, and she was like, wow, you read that in high school? I, I said, yes. And I said, I went to an all-girls school and read that, you know, and she was very, very impressed by that. So Margaret Atwood was pretty impressed. The fact right. that we- we're, we're ahead of the times like when yeah, 20 exactly. yeah. years ago. <laughs> um, I love it. So to jump a little bit further out of high school, can you think of any real life examples in your current work that you felt have been 
exemplifying the mercy mission that you learned at Gwynedd. That it's kind of like instilled as us in us, excuse me, as we graduate. Um, I think the biggest thing for me is the volunteerism. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that Gwynedd showed me how to um, have compassion for others and empathy and do the work of a volunteer. Um, you know, I started off, I think it was, you know, um, senior year or not senior year, um, my sophomore year of doing service and really enjoying it. And then I ended up um, traveling and doing service. And one of my first trips was to Tijuana uh, for Los Niños. And um, that was helping build schools. It was with the um, students from all over the Archdiocese of Philadelphia. And it was just very meaningful and, you know, impacted, you know, my life greatly. And then after that, um, I did another sort of um, community building in the Appalachian Mountains. Uh, So we went to Paul Paul, West Virginia. And that was the first time I saw, you know, poverty outside of an urban environment. Um, And that really kind of affected me to be in, you know, these small, you know, coal mining towns and to see that there are people living, you know, in America without running water, uh, without electricity, um, you know, so it really kind of touched me and it made me think like, what else can I do? Um, and then, so from that, you know, that followed me into, into, um, into college. And so my sophomore year of college in New York city, I started, uh, volunteering at Jacoby medical center and I, uh, mentored and tutored children with, uh, AIDS and HIV. Um, and that, was extremely um, touching and heart-wrenching and kind of bittersweet for me, Um, you know, having that experience, um, especially working with children. Some of them didn't even know um, their status. They just thought that they were sick, Um, you know? And so I I really think that having, you know, that installed in me from a young age, I went in that kind of service, you know, carried me on through through college. And then, you know, I kept at it. Um, I've worked, in every city that I've lived in, um, I work with a variety of organizations, um, mainly within the LGBTQ uh, plus community, um, within the BIPOC community, um, and especially with around healthcare and um, infectious diseases such as HIV and AIDS. Um, and you know, it's just it's incredible work. And I really think that without Gwynedd having all the service opportunities that they offered, um, it's something that I I wouldn't have gotten into, you know? I mean, I spent all of high school too, working with Habitat for Humanity, Um, you know? And so it just, I think it gives you great life lessons. um, And it also, you know, having mercy spirit and having, you know, those people around you that just care so much, um, you know, about not only the mercy community, but the outside community. I think it, it definitely, um, you know, propelled me into service and activism. Was there a particular service through CSC? Like, I remember going to Women of Hope and um, there's the one at St. Malachy's. I don't remember what it was called. I definitely, but was there, you know what I'm talking about? Right. Yeah, was there a particular uh, outreach through CSC? Yeah, I, I think, I really think Women of Hope, um, that was wonderful to me because um, I felt a connection with many of those women, especially the women of color, mm-hmm. um, you know, because, you know, yes, I, I came from a family that, you know, we had the education, you know, we were very much um, upper middle class, um, but I did have, you know, come from a, a single family home, a single mother, 
rather a single parent home. And, um, you know, my mother also did a lot of volunteer work and she worked with women who were in shelters and abused women. And so, you know, kind of, I guess, seeing women that look like me that were struggling um, and knowing that, you know, yes, I was young, but there's things that, you know, I can do to help these women who are particularly in within my own racial community. Um, it, it was just a very good feeling. And I think also too, that's kind of why I work, you know, within particular communities, within marginalized communities, um, you know, because, you know, I get to see that. And also too, when I went to, uh, to Tijuana and when I was doing the service work in Mexico, um, I, I really forget who, um, what teacher it was that kind of um, initially brought up the, the, uh, the program to me. But that was something that, you know, um, that Gwen had kind of, you know, promoted, I guess. Um, and so that was a, that was a fabulous experience. Um, not only did it give me the opportunity to travel um, and to go to a place in Mexico, I'd been to Mexico before, but never, you know, to mm-hmm. Tijuana and never living within the community, right? Um, that was the other beautiful thing about it is that you lived and you worked within the community you were helping. So you had all your meals with people within the community, um, you know, and so that not only helped shape me as far as um, activism, you know, and volunteer work goes and service work goes, but also in terms of travel, you know, from from that then on, it was like, whenever I travel, I wanna, you know, see parts of countries that, you know, nobody else really explores. I wanna, mm-hmm see what how people who actually live here how they live sure uh, so the real part that not the tourist attraction not, the tourist not just the liberty bell mm-hmm. like everything else yeah um well so it's interesting that you brought up the uh service programs that we had and kylie have you gone any of the ones um i've done a few i haven't unfortunately had the chance to go on a lot of them due to like just work overload and even like COVID last year kind of restrained a lot of them, but I've done some in the past and they were incredible and like eye-opening. Yeah. So they're picking up again now that we're hoping to come out of COVID and start that. I didn't recall in high school, the international service trips. I just remembered international trips, but that's an amazing opportunity that you had. It was, so it was sponsored by the archdiocese. Okay. And I think that, you know, a teacher knew about it and kind of recommended, um, me to do it. And then actually, after that, actually, I served on the um, Archdiocese had a service board and I served on that for a year. Okay. And it was because of that trip. Um, you know, I met the, the, the teachers and the, um, you know, the, the organizers of the service board. Okay. Um, so, yeah. So when you were on the board, was that during high school? Yes. Oh yes. my gosh. Brooke, how did I not know this? It was like sophomore, junior. I actually gave, like, I had to I remember this because I was so nervous about it and public speaking has not never been my thing, but um, we had an assembly and I actually spoke about it at the assembly. And I spoke about the trip to Tijuana. I went to Tijuana my junior year, our junior year. So it was probably senior year. That's pretty cool. Um, So you kind of change focus a little bit. All right. So you touched a little bit on the the teachers that are going to the English background and everything. You went to college at the University of Maryland and you studied English, which I understand we're all impacted by Sister Christie and Mr. Sent same, completely the same. Um, and then you got into publishing. So can you tell us a little bit about what you thought you were going to be doing when you were working on these degrees and then how you landed where you did? 
So first, actually, um, I entered my freshman year, I went to school in New York um, to Manhattan College. And it was my um, freshman year, I took a classic classics class. It was classical origins. And we read the Odyssey. Now, I don't know if you, they still do this like Gwyneth, but um, our freshman year, you had the opportunity to either take Latin or science. I was terrible at science. I wanted to avoid it at all costs. So I was like, let me take Latin, you know, thinking whatever. I know it's not easy, but how hard can it be? Very difficult, of course. But, um, you know, we read the Odyssey. The first part we read in English. And then the second part we had to, um, you know, translate and read in Latin. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it made me very familiar with the Odyssey. So my freshman English class, um, or the freshman classical origins class, we read the Odyssey. And the first paper I did, uh, the professor wrote, you know, at the the top of my paper, like, come see me. And I was like, oh, gosh, I wonder what this is about, you know. So, you know, I went to see him and he was actually the, um, he was the head of the English department at that time. And he, you know, was like, this paper is brilliant. Like, this is, you know, great. This is excellent. I mean, in, in this class, it wasn't, it, you know, was a class um, mainly, I want to say, for like juniors. Um, so, you know, he's very impressed. And, you know, we talked about my background and he said, well, you know, I see your political science major, you know, mass, like, you know, what is influencing this? And I said, I want to go to law school. I want to be a lawyer. So he said, okay, well, you know, have you ever thought about English that could be helpful, you know, going to law school, if it's something you enjoy, you know, and clearly it's something that you're good at. And I never really thought of it. And I kind of molded over and I was like, you know what, maybe this is a thing that I want to do. And so I switched majors. Well, with that and working with, you know, um, my advisors, they actually, after my freshman year, they said, you know, Manhattan College is more of an engineering school um, and a business, you know, uh, kind of school. And, you know, kind of feel like we don't have what you, you know, would need or be looking for. So you might want to think of, you know, other schools or maybe getting your master's after this. Um, So, you know, I kind of mulled things over and, um, you know, I was like, if I'm really serious about this, especially law school, let me, you know, at least um, get graduate from a school that has a very solid English department. So I looked and searched and found University of Maryland. It was supposed to be C because I was thinking I want to get in politics, maybe lobbying. Um, So yeah, I went to University of Maryland, but that actually pushed me to the opposite direction where I had all these wonderful classes that I took um, studying literature. And I was just like, wow, you know, maybe I could be a professor. I just, you know, this is something that I want to do. I love books. I just want to, you know, sit and analyze, you know, works of art, <laughs> works of literature all day. Like that's, you know, what I want to do for a job. So, um, you know, it's kind of like, well, academia, that is, you know, it's, um, it's very time consuming. It takes a lot of time. Um, to me at that time, it, you know, it seemed like it was, more of a robust kind of studying than you would do for law, you know, right? You just go to law school and mm-hmm. not you just go to law school, but you go to law school, you know, it's not like you with academia, especially within, um, you know, universities, if you only have tenure and everything, you, you know, have to get your PhD. So I was thinking, well, I'll stay the course with law. And then, um, you know, I graduated. Um, I'd been interning. I interned at the Philadelphia Public Defenders for a couple of years during the summer um, while I was in college. And then um, I got my second job out of college 
was um, working at an antitrust litigation firm as a paralegal. And, you know, I took the LSATs and everything did very well in the LSATs. But there was something in the back of my mind that was still like, I don't know, you should kind of wait on this. Mm -hmm. So that's, you know, I didn't apply and I started looking at programs, um, you know, within publishing. Um, You know, at the time, too, I wanted to get into book publishing. I wanted to work for Random House. Um, You know, I interviewed for one of their internships. And sadly, at the time, you had to work full time um, and as an intern, unpaid intern. And, you know, I couldn't swing living in New York City, making any money, you know, and it was funny in the the interview, uh, you know, the the woman interviewing said, well, you know, I mean, can't you just like live with a friend? And I'm like, oh, my friends live in shoeboxes. Anyway, (laughs) there's no way that, you know, like even if I took several jobs, like I would be so burned out. So I was like, there has to be another way. Um, And I just so happened to find that George Washington University had this publishing program. I could work uh, and go to school full time. Um, it was all, you know, I think there was like only one course they offered online. So it was all in person. But at the time I was in my mid 20s, had the energy for it and was able to, you know, work um, a, a very flexible schedule. I had great boss. Um, so at the time I was working as an assistant editor at an association in DC and, you know, did that and got my master's and, you know, just pursued publishing and so well done i mean publishing as you know is incredibly hard to get into yes and even the the paying jobs yes yeah um, i remember looking at jobs and i'm like i'm sorry that's the full-time salary yeah and you yeah. want me to relocate to new york city yeah it's worse than philadelphia salary. Yeah. <laughs> like- well, and, I, and i think the great thing and what um being in the, the, the getting my master's in publishing taught me is that uh, first of all in DC, that is the number one city for associations. And so academic publishing is huge in DC. And so, um, you know, that's an avenue that I explored and, you know, I found, hey, you know, this is something, associations are great places to work. You know, I've, um, you know, working with ALA, it's my second, the American Library Association. It's my second association that I've worked for and I've worked for both in the association world and also in the for-profit world. And I think associations um, are the best in terms of, you know, working in an environment that, you know, you kind of, you're respected, um, you know, you really, you work with some good people and you work doing very good things. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, can you tell us a little bit, or maybe Kylie, you want to ask about her current job? Yeah. So, um, uh- would you mind like telling us like how you ended up like in Chicago, like what you're currently doing, working on anything you care to share? Sure. Yeah. So I actually, um, I lived in DC for nine years and then, um, around 20, um, the end of 2010, my mother, um, had renal failure and she oh. was she had retired to North Carolina. So, um, I decided to quit my job and go down there and help her. And so, um, you know, helped her and she got on dialysis and, um, you know, I was going to, I was looking at maybe like staying down in the Raleigh area, but they just didn't have anything within my career path. And so um, I wound up just taking kind of the year to, um, you know, definitely take a beat. I, like I said, I'd gone straight from, um, you know, grad school and working and just being, you know, doing stuff nonstop. And I, you know, hadn't really taken a breath to really, you know, kind of 
think about what I wanted to do, you know? Um, and so it provided me with the opportunity, you know, to kind of like reevaluate things, um, especially with her being sick and with what I really, you know, cared about. Um, so I, I ended up while I was there taking um, a few months to travel. Um, I went all through Central America. Um, I went through Scotland and Ireland, um, you know, and then when I came back very rejuvenated and fresh, um, you know, I uh, ended up actually meeting my husband who's from Chicago and he, um, my in-laws, his father and uh, stepmother and younger brother, they live in uh, Cary, which is close to Raleigh. So we met there and, you know, um, we did long distance for a while and I came to visit Chicago um, about, I want to say like a year after, you know, we got together and absolutely loved it. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we're just like, well, long distance isn't, it's not going to be long distance forever. So, you know, I was like, definitely, I, I could see myself, you know, living in the city. And at the time I was doing freelance um, editing work um, and doing, you know, website content writing and that sort of thing. So I had the flexibility to relocate and, came here and it's been almost 10 years now. Wow. And, you know, 10 years, husband and a baby. <laughs> so. Oh my gosh. Congratulations. Thank you. Chicago's lucky to have you. <laughs> um, so that answers how you ended up in Chicago. Mm -hmm. What drew you to um, the AIDS Foundation of Chicago and Chicago House? Yeah. And how did you end up being on the boards of both of these? So um, I started off, like I said, in, in every city, I like to um, do volunteer work. I also, um, you know, try to get involved with the LGBTQ community. I did a lot of work in D.C. Um, I actually worked, uh, did volunteering for their Pride Festival and um, every year. Um, so I ended up finding about, out about the AIDS Foundation of Chicago through friends, and they do an annual uh, AIDS run walk in the fall. And so I decided to volunteer for that. And I volunteered at another event and the, um, the, the, I guess the manager of the volunteers, um, you know, kind of, I caught his eye and he asked me if I, you know, ever thought about joining a board and he told me about the associate board, um, you know, and so I went to a meeting, really enjoyed it. And, you know, I was on it for about, I want to say four and a half years. I was a chair, um, like my third year in. Um, and then, you know, I've since kind of like kind of stepped back. I'm an ex-officio member. And I um, I think I want to say about a year or so ago, I joined Chicago House. Um, I, had, uh, I have a friend who was also on the Associate Board of AIDS Foundation of Chicago. And was like, hey, you know, there's also Chicago House. Um, and they're a smaller organization um, and they do things a bit differently in terms of volunteerism than uh, the AIDS Foundation does, but they actually kind of work together. So um, I, you know, I was like, well, I, you know, I kind of want to be on a, a new board and, you know, kind of do some sort of different work um, and some work I could also do where it, I didn't have to do that many events uh, mm -hmm. with a, you know, child and with COVID and everything. Sure. Um, it's mm -hmm. kind of difficult, um, but you know, so I kind of switched gears with that. And then most recently, um, a friend of mine uh, told me about a new organization um, that's just getting up and running called Literary Works. And so I was asked to join their board. And so now I'm working with them and they provide um, a literacy outreach. Um, you know, they do a lot with 
uh, literacy equity uh, within the Illinois area. So within the state, um, specifically in Chicago and the, you know, the suburbs, um, but it is branching out to downstate in Illinois. So I'm happy to kind of help them grow. That's amazing. Um, I want to hear more about that, but can you tell us a little bit more about what Chicago House actually does? Like, is it a facility? Is it? Yes. So uh, what Chicago House does is that um, it provides support uh, health support, um, and both organizations do that. We actually in Chicago, we have wonderful, um, a wonderful system for people within the LGBT community, especially with those living with age and HIV. So we have the Howard Brown Center, um, you know, so we work with them, mm -hmm. um, and we work with, um, people, uh, you know, um, especially young, young people who are experiencing homelessness. Um, that's the biggest thing within the LGBT community because a lot of these people, um, you know, have been thrown out of their houses or, you know, um, don't have the support from their family. Uh, so we provide housing, um, we provide, uh, you know, um, ways for them to get jobs and also training, mm -hmm. um, you know, and we um, also help them with any sort of substance abuse, um, counseling, you know, and the biggest thing, like I said, is healthcare to make sure that um, they are healthy mm -hmm. and that they, you know, remain healthy and that they stay on top of, you know, their healthcare because that's the biggest thing, especially when you're experiencing homelessness, right? You don't have, you know, doctors to go to all the time, you don't have a general practitioner or anything. Um, so we, we provide that support, um, you know, and also we, we hold um, events for fundraising, um, you know, and we, currently work with uh, women um, who are in marginalized communities. So black women, uh, especially uh, black trans women, mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, there's a huge, and this is across the country, um, you know, a sad amount of black trans women who go missing, who are the victims of, you know, sexual and physical abuse. Um, who are murdered, you know, every year. And it's things that we mm -hmm. that don't hear about. So, you know, we do things where, you know, if we hear about a missing trans, you know, person, we definitely, um, you know, work with the community to find them, to find out what happened, to provide resources, to provide, um, you know, uh, law enforcement resources, um, you know, to kind of get the word out there. Um, Make sure you have an advocate. Yes, yes, definitely. Um, Kylie, you had a question, right? Yeah, I did. So kind of going off on of what you were like saying about how like you were influenced to get into this work. Um, why do you think healthcare equality is so important, especially in like this day and age? Um, I think it's hugely important. And I'm going to, um, you know, it's something that I got involved, involved in without even knowing um this about myself. I, so I, I have uh, fertility issues. Um, you know, I, my son was born from IVF um, and I have uh, polycystic ovarian syndrome. I've had it my entire life. I just didn't know it. Um, when I was young and I first started menstruating, you know, I would go through like awful, you know, periods, have terrible cramps. There were times that I had to go to the hospital. I would miss school. You know, um, I developed cysts and no one could tell me what was wrong. You know, and it wasn't sadly until I want to say several years ago that I found out about this. And then I didn't find out about my actual fertility issues until my husband and I, after we got married, we were trying to start a family. And, you know, it, after a year or so, 
you know, that's when I was referred to a fertility specialist and found out about, you know, my PCOS affecting, you know, my fertility. Um, and, you know, it's been a, a long, tough journey, but, you know, it, it's just, it was very ironic that I was so for, you know, um, promoting, you know, um, and advocating for healthcare, you know, especially for women of color. Mm-hmm. And that's happened to me, you know? Um, and, you know, so I, I definitely think that it's something that's, you know, it's very important, you know, especially with women, um, you know, people don't, a lot of us don't realize, and it's something that we don't talk about too. And, and I'm very, you know, um, as Caitlin may know, you know, we're follow each other on social media. Um, I'm very vocal about it because um, I don't think it's anything to be ashamed of. You can't help it. And also at the same time, I think that if it was, if, if it was talked about more and more women would get themselves, you know, checked out, you know, if it was something that, you know, I, I, I think that, you know, was discussed when I was in my twenties, it would be something that I'd be like, Hey, wait a second, this doesn't seem right to me, what I'm going through. So maybe I should go and speak to a doctor about this. Right. Um, so I definitely feel like we have to be our own advocates and, um, you know, we have to make sure that our fellow women, that our sisters know what's going on, you know, with, with ourselves and, you know, talk freely about it. Um, so, you know, I think that I'm glad that at a young age, I, I got involved in, um, in, in healthcare. I kind of wish that, I guess I would have, you know, thought about my own in terms of, of that, but, you know, um, you live and you learn, but I definitely think that, you know, it's, it's very important. That's a great answer. Thank you for mm-hmm. being so vulnerable and open yeah, thank and sharing you for that. all of that with us. That's huge. Um, oh my gosh, Brooke. So how, trying to think of what, how do you, how do I rebound from such vulnerability right there? Right? Like it feels so wrong to change gears. Um, but I do want to ask, you mentioned that you also got involved with the, uh, literacy equality initiatives in Chicago. And if you could touch on that a little bit and what that outreach looks like, and maybe there's other metropolitan areas that have similar outreaches that we should be supporting. So it's, it's a relatively new uh, organization um, and I'm very happy to, to start from the ground floor up. Um, and, you know, right now we're just kind of trying to shape the programming that we do, the outreach that we're doing, um, you know, of course, as someone who, you know, loves to read um, and loves to write, literacy and, and reading, they're very, um, you know, very key to me. And it's, it's kind of amazing. I'm one of these people who I always have a book on me. Um, and it's always an actual book. I can't, um, I have vision problems. So I can't really re- use readers, I, you know, um, and I try to limit my screen time. And I just like the feel of, of a book, you know, yeah. um, so I, I always have people, whether it's on, you know, the L, the bus, the, you know, plane, or if I'm in a waiting room, they're always asked, like, say, hey, you know, I, it's been forever since I saw somebody with a book. And then on top of that, you have a library book, you know, mm-hmm. and then we, you know, kind of get in a conversation. And I've met so many people that way that have told me that they have problems reading. You know, um, I remember at one of our conferences, uh, with the American Library Association, we were in New Orleans, and there was uh, one of the members of the janitorial staff. Um, I was waiting for one of my sessions to begin, and he came in the room and he was cleaning, and we started talking. and He was an older black man, 
And, you know, he was like, I'm really proud of the work that a young woman like you, you know, what you're doing and everything. And he said, you know, I have a second grade education. Um, you know, I can't read. Um, and, you know, I just, it, I, it just is amazing that, you know, that you're doing this work. And it was just, it was so touching. And, sure. um, you know, it just, to me, it's just, you know, it's something that I felt, you know, very much a need for. Um, and, you know, um, yeah, it, it, sh it should be something that, you know, we're doing in, and not even just urban environments everywhere, um, especially in communities that are marginalized, um, you know, especially when it comes to impoverished uh, communities. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think how limited you are in, in being illiterate, it's just, you, you growing up in the suburbs, like you completely take it for granted that there are people in this day and age who are unable to read and yeah. how much it reduces your options in life for work yeah. for for I mean like for how do you figure out a bus schedule like how do you yeah. do yeah. anything you take it for yeah yeah and I mean my so my grandfather he actually um his uh he was brought up in the south in Virginia and um his family they had a farm and his father passed away when he was in third grade and so he was the oldest of seven kids and you know um my grandmother or my great-grandmother had him you know taken out of school because he needed to help with the farm you know the, the money for the family um and so you know he only had a third grade education and so for him uh his children and his grandchildren um you know being educated seeing the best education was you know of the utmost importance to him um, and so that's why, you know, when I was a kid, he loved the fact that he, I always had a book, you know, and he would have me read to him and, and everything. And I didn't know that he, you know, he, he couldn't, you know, read very well until I was probably in high school. Um, so, I mean, I think that's the other key thing for me is that, um, you know, having someone in my family that was that close to, uh, that had problems with reading. Yeah, that mm -hmm. makes sense why it's been such a, a, a motivator for you. Um, my gosh. Yeah, it just, it's not something that you encounter very frequently, at yeah. least typically. Yeah. Like it's, yeah. I don't know. Um, so to your point about the everything being a, an e-reader, digital reader and that sort of thing, is the literacy initiative that you're working with, is it for hard, tangible books? Is it for digital books? Is there a way for us to support sure. this? Um, it's it's pretty much for, for anything. Um, you know, I think we're uh, starting off with, um, I know that they do have classes, um, you know, what they're doing with the, that's the work. Um, I know that um, I, you know, I don't think they're doing anything just yet with like, you know, uh, passing out books. I think it's the main thing is um, we're just getting the community communities organized. Sure. And we're also doing outreach in terms of um, getting classes together, um, you know, so. But okay. there's I mean, there's definitely room to grow and there's so many different things that you can yes. you know, do. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, definitely, you know, um, getting books into people's hands, uh, getting library cards. That's the biggest thing too, is that like, you know, um, of course going to do plug for the library, but you know, this is, it's a place where, you know, there's 
free everything, you know, right. you, there's free books that you can check out. There's, you know, um, laptops, e-readers you can check out. There's board games. There's so many, the library offers so many different things. So, um, you know, definitely like that's one of the things that I, I plan and want to do with this group is um, get them connected with uh, the library communities. Okay. That's a great initiative. Yeah. Um, especially because now with the digital borrowing of books, like if they had an iPad, you can just log on to Libby or whatever and get all the same books that you would get and you don't have to go. Um, how has obviously library membership and, and uh, funding is important to you. And I feel like library funding is always one of the first things Yes. that they talk about, you know, cutting back on because are the libraries underutilized or anything like that? Is, is there any part of your job that um, really advocates for that? More funding or? Within my, um, within my purview, with what I do with uh, library advocacy, our biggest thing is um, advocating for digital rights. So we deal with privacy. Um, we deal with also, um, you know, uh, information, um, you know, information mining, and then also access. Access is a huge thing. And one of the, the um, I think the, the things that I'm most proud of that we've done recently is uh, during COVID, opening up um, libraries for everyone to use their Wi-Fi. So within, within the community that a library is in, um, during library hours, you know, you, the Wi-Fi is open. So if you live in a certain, you know, radius, like you can use their Wi-Fi. Well, if the library closes at five or if it's Sunday and the library is not open, people don't have access to that. So we were able to work with um, many libraries throughout the country, um, you know, and we we're able to have, have them have their Wi-Fi open 24 seven um, so that people got, you know, have access. Um, you know, to the internet and, um, you know, are able to get online. Um, and I call it information redlining. That's what happens in a lot of communities where, you know, they don't have the access to free Wi-Fi. Um, you know, we've also worked with cable companies like Xfinity mm -hmm. to offer programs um, for people who can't afford Wi-Fi. Um, so that's like huge, um, one of the things that, you know, that we do, that we did, um, one of our big initiatives. Um, and then another one that I'm kind of working on um, within my, my smaller division, along with the American Library Association is um, access uh, for people who are incarcerated. Mm -hmm. One of the problems as well, um, getting access to uh, online information, um, which is crucial because, you know, not only, um, you know, do they need access to information online for their cases, but also too, it's a way to, um, you know, promote literacy education um, as well as, you know, a way for, for them to advance themselves, you know, so they get training, you know, in different things. Um, you know, uh, it goes beyond just, just having classes for them. Um, so uh, that's one of my major things is uh, we have a whole, you know, group that deals with libraries for the incarcerated. And yes, there are libraries and library organizations just for prisons. Um, but, uh, you know, working with them, I want to build something around having an initiative uh, countrywide for access uh, within libraries. So I love it. Uh, that's Brooke, you are so well-rounded and tied into so many different 
valuable, impactful, life-changing organizations. And it's an honor to call you a fellow mercy girl, quite frankly. Like you are, you're a mover and a shaker and you're putting your money where your mouth is. That's awesome. Um, To kind of, all right. What advice would you give to young women who are considering advocating or going into um, publishing or anybody who wants to follow a similar trajectory to you? What advice would you have for that? I think definitely, um, you know, use everything that, you know, what it has to offer to your advantage. Um, Mm -hmm. I tried to be in like every single club as possible. Um, And at first it was kind of like a joke where, you know, I was kind of, I'd say, you know, like Max Fisher from Rushmore and, you know, was in every sort of club. But in actuality, it's because I've always like, I, you know, I love learning new things and mm-hmm. I love, you know, um, just being involved in every, you know, sort of area and, and just seeing kind of, that's the way that you see what works for you, what you, you know, your, you know, interests may be, you know, um, it also takes you out of your comfort zone. Um, so I'd say definitely like, you know, try as, as many things, um, as possible, um, you know, and then also too, if you can take advantage of things like, you know, um, travel that Mm -hmm. the the school has to offer, um, you know, I know that, um, and I actually, um, very proud that, um, my class came up with this, but there's a scholarship for travel um, in the name of Donna Van Buren, who is one of our classmates. And I loved seeing that. And I immediately was like, oh yes, I'm you know, donating to this because you know, um, what she, what her passion was, was my passion. And um, you know, what she did with her travel was wonderful. You know, it was all about embracing different communities and getting out of you know, who you are and seeing the world. And she really saw the world. So I think that, you know, that's one of the things that was instilled in me. And I definitely think that if you can take advantage of that, do it. Um, at the time I was in school, like I couldn't afford to go on, you know, the trips that Gwen had had. Um, so, you know, that's definitely something that I think that, you know, if you can pursue it, you should, um, especially, you know, with the, the scholarship there. And it's something that I will continue to donate to because I would want to see as many, you know, girls from Gwinnett get the experience that I wish I could have in high school, but, you know, I'm proud to say that I have now. And, you know, it's something that's definitely a wonderful thing. And I'm sure it's something that Donna would have really appreciated and loved. You're going to make me cry. That's <laughs> yeah, beautiful. She's talking about Donna. Um, No, I think the making travel more equitable for more students, especially as we're seeing such diverse economic backgrounds coming through the school now and for everybody to have an even playing field and still get the same experiences. Because to your point, to Donna's point, to anybody else's point, these are invaluable experiences and you have no idea how it's going to set the course of your life going on something like this. You don't understand how beautiful the world is until you get out there and you have these experiences and you go to these places and you meet these people. Right. You know, um, and it is very invaluable. I mean, the best I can say the best times of my life have been when I've you know been traveling and I did a lot of traveling on my own. I spent years traveling, you know, solo and going to places that a lot of people are like, what are you doing? Like, why? You know, mm-hmm. my first trip by myself, I went to Colombia. And it was mainly because somebody told me like, oh, you know, you're a young girl, like, don't, why? 
And I was like, well, I'm going to show you why. There's a lot of beauty there. And, you know, I had the time of my life. So, and that's the other thing too, that, you know, I think that, you know, you, you know, when it, you know, students should definitely keep in mind is um, it gave me a sense of when people tell you, you can't do, go ahead and do it anyway and prove them wrong. Absolutely. um, I'm a very strong woman because of the values that I was taught at Gwen. You know, I'm able to stand up for myself and, you know, um, yeah, just be myself. And, you know, I'm not afraid to be who I am and I'm not afraid to speak my mind. And it was because I was in an environment where, you know, I could do that. It wasn't always popular with right. a lot of the teachers, <laughs> you know, I did get demerits for some of the things <laughs> that I said, but, you know, still. Uh, Kylie, our class was... Um... We, we really made a name for ourselves. Oh, Dr. Dershon was telling us about it earlier today. Yeah. She said you guys were in trouble class. <laughs> All of my demerits, and I actually still have them. And some of them, I mean, the, the descriptions were absolutely hysterical. <laughs> I'm not going to get into that. But. You should collect them and put them somewhere. Yeah. But, but to your point, like, look at what... Gwen had produced from our class, whereas, you know, all these different interests and everything. And mm-hmm. there are so many strong, independent... I don't know, boisterous, but like vocal, accomplished women that have come out of this school, regardless of the decade, the generation, everything. Like this is what Gwenna does. It teaches us to use our voice. Yes. And it's amazing. You had another yeah, question. I did. So what would you say is like your proudest accomplishment in your career like so far? Um, I'd say, hmm. I'd have to say the advocacy work that I've done and also the people that I've been able to meet um, in doing different things within my career. One of the things that I was kind of pushed into with advocacy is dealing with public relations. Um, I never saw myself involved in public relations at all. And it was something that kind of came with the advocacy territory because um, like a lot of nonprofits, ALA, you know, um, we're sort of, we're big, but we're small. You know, we have a staff of, Uh, over 250, but at the same time, a lot of us wear many different hats. Um, And so with that, uh, that advocacy work, I was able to, um, you know, kind of learn that I I really have a knack for communications and public relations. Um, Last year, um, or the past couple of years for one of our campaigns, uh, Preservation Week, it's on um, preservation and cultural and heritage preservation. Uh, within communities. So we have an honorary chair every year. And um, I want to say in 2019, maybe? Yeah, it was 2019. We had uh, Roxane Gay, who's um, an author um, and uh, um, political commentator um, and a social critic. Uh, She was um, one of our honorary chairs that we worked with, and that was huge um, within the library world. And then just last year, we um, had Nicole Hannah-Jones as our honorary chair. And um, as you may know, she is the founder of the 1619 Project and deals with critical race theory. Um, and we got an opportunity to work with her before, you know, things, you know, kind of blew up and got huge, um, you know, and it was just, you know, a very proud moment and being able to, you know, pitch something to her, um, you know, to, to get her on board. Um, you know, so in, in that aspect. And then also to the other, you know, 
um, kind of campaigns and uh, communications events um, and events within ALA that I've, I've worked on um, our conference in 2018. Um, I actually did the um, kind of coordinated the media for Michelle Obama's presentation. Um, you know, I was only a few feet away from her and, you know, wow. it was an amazing experience. Very cool. Um, I also did the still media for, uh, worked with the still media for uh, Hillary Clinton when she uh, spoke at our conference uh, prior to that. Um, you know, and I've met, you know, incredible people. I met Neil Patrick Harris. He was the best. I think. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and then I, I've met, um, I complimented his suit. He looked very good. <laughs> and he said that I should go on the road with him and just compliment him. Like, you know, all the time I said, Hey, if you're going to pay me to do that, I will definitely do right? it. <laughs> um, you know, meeting Margaret Atwood. So, you know, having the, the opportunity to kind of engage with, um, you know, celebrities, um, I met and almost cried with photocopy. That was an amazing experience. My mother was a big fan of hers. And she, um, when she came out with her children's book, um, at LA, we worked with her. And so, you know, I kind of worked with the nerd to tell her, you know, um, about my mother and she signed a copy of her book. Um, and this was before my son Jet was born. And, you know, so that has a special place in my heart. Um, so, you know, I've, I've, you know, I think I've, had some really good, really great work moments. <laughs> That's incredible. Yeah, it's amazing. That's not, I mean, you have like a vision of what you think working in libraries is, and that is nothing like what exactly. I yeah. in libraries <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, I mean, and I, I tell people all the time, like, you know, librarians are amazing people. If I could, you know, go back to school again, if I wasn't in, you know, the, the um, profession that I'm in now, um, I would definitely have gotten my LMS, my MLS um, because librarians are great. I've always had great respect for librarians. Um, and also too, they know how to party well. <laughs> like <laughs> they play hard, they, you know, party hard. And we have some of the best conferences and we're fortunate enough to have some great, you know, presenters, some great celebrities that want to work mm -hmm. with us. We've worked with Sarah Jessica Parker. We've, you know, worked, it's run the gamut um, of people and it's, it's all because of, you know, we do have strong support. People out there still do love libraries and respect librarians. So that's heartwarming to hear as yeah. a book nerd. Yeah. <laughs> There's still such a love for librarians. And I just, it's like a safe space. So yeah. That's it totally is. Um, do you have another question? Yeah. So kind of becoming like a full circle in a sense is there anything that you like regret not doing during high school or college and like if so is there any advice that you would give like to your like high school or college self um I think definitely I wish that um you know I could have picked up more hours at Eckerd so that I could afford to go on the uh the trips oh, <laughs> at the time in high school so that and babysitting or something um beg pleaded with my family <laughs> um but you know that probably um uh I mean probably maybe have not taken you know kind of things so so seriously about like having to get into you know the best college and um you know, kind of maybe branched out and what I was considering, you know, for a career, um, you know, because I kind of had this whole, you know, idea set in my mind, like, yes, you're going to go to law school, you're going to do this, you're going to do that. And, you know, once I graduated, you know, from undergrad or got kind of probably my junior, senior year, I realized like, that's not, you know, how life is. 
Um, so I'd say, you know, my advice definitely is to, you know, not take, you know, yes, you should take school seriously, your academics seriously, but, you know, have fun, you know, you're young and it's mm-hmm. so fleeting. Oh my gosh. It's like, I mean, I look back on things and I'm like, I can't believe I'm the age that I am now. Like, you know, <laughs> I wish I was still in high school. I wish that I was still, you know, um, you know, young. <laughs> so I, I definitely think, you know, enjoy it. Don't grow up too fast and, you know, especially college. Um, and I say this to, to everyone too, you know, I know that there's a lot of kids out there that decide that they don't want to go to college. I have cousins, little cousins that, you know, um, were kind of, didn't want to go to college. And I was like, you know, those were the best years of my life because, you know, you're independent, but yet you're still not an adult where you don't really have to pay bills or anything like that. You know, um, if you, you know, and that's for going to college and living on campus, if you can, mm-hmm. you know, take advantage of that, you know, um, it's just, it's a great experience. And, you know, I think that, um, and it's not only about, you know, the social aspect. Um, it's also, you're getting to study really what you want to study, you know, um, I loved, I really enjoyed college because it was like, Hey, you know, especially when I, I you know, declared my ma- major in English, I was like, I get to sit and read books all day. And then I go to class and talk about books. And then I get to write about books. Like, you know, this is perfect for me. Like just all you need to do is throw money at me and I'll, you know, be set. So, um, yeah, definitely that, and, you know, take advantage of any and every opportunity, um, you know, when it has to offer, uh, one of my favorite you know, uh, autobiographies, uh, besides Tina Fey's Bossy Pants is, um, you know, and I also like Sarah Silverman's Bad Weather, but, um, Amy Poehler's Yes, Please. I love that. And mm. I, after I read that book, I decided that, you know, I was going to be a yes, please person. So any opportunity that, you know, comes my way, you know, yes, please, I'll take it, you know, I'll try this. Um, and it's just given me a great experience and, you know, kind of, getting involved in different things and also getting to know what I like and what I want to do and what I don't like and what I don't want to do. I love it. Yeah, that's great. I, I am. Yes. You should lean in, lean in more, but also like don't lean in so seriously. Not everything is yeah. super yeah. severe. Um, that's great advice. I love it. Um, one follow-up question kind of, but this is back to your career. Is there anything you're still hoping to achieve professionally? Like, do you have a set career in mind? Or not career goal? Would love to complete, you know, I'm, you know, working on, you know, I'm writing, I'm a writer. So Mm -hmm. complete and write, you know, the great American novel. No, just, you know, um, but no, I'm, you know, I would love to, you know, yes, I'm I'm published, but be published in the sense of uh, something of my own creative writing. Um, So that's definitely something that, you know, I'd like to, before I die, have <laughs> completed. So. Well, you know. send us a copy for our library. <laughs> yeah. We have distinguished alumni. <laughs> oh, Brooke, this was fantastic. Thank you so much Thank for you. coming on. Um, I love reconnecting with you every time we cross paths yeah. now that I'm back at Gwynedd. Mm-hmm. It was great to talk to you. Like, you're an amazing person. You're so inspirational. Like, yeah. you're amazing. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you.